By the time you hear this podcast, you would have survived another day in suburbia. Welcome to By the Time You Hear This Podcast. I'm Greg. I'm Ben. And we're back with episode 147. All right. Uh, as uh, thank you for everyone uh, for joining us. If you've listened or downloaded as you tune into the Sam and Dave of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> so we definitely appreciate it. Uh, let's bring us both on the screen here. Oh, they didn't see me thanking them. I got to remember that. Thank you. Uh, they got that. They got that. <laughs> right as you did you that. You people are awesome. <laughs> so uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening and downloading mm-hmm. and supporting us. Uh, we definitely appreciate that. <clears throat> and... Um, you can see on the screen where you can find us um, at, by the time you hear this on Instagram, by the time you hear this on Facebook, spell with the letter U, the urban spelling <laughs> for both of those. Um, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts, podcast aggregate apps, any of those that you use. And it's one of those rare ones because you're a hipster with your podcast listening. You don't tell anyone about the apps you're listening to. <laughs> and those they're the kind of companies that just pick up RSS feeds randomly. <laughs> so uh, we appreciate you too. Appreciate all of you. Um, so we've been off for a couple of weeks. So let's just go ahead and get into our music news. Um, I think the new, well, no, the news came out last week, and we didn't do a show last week. But the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees have been announced. Uh, we have the Foo Fighters, the Go Go's, Jay Z, Todd Rundgren, Tina Turner, and Carol King as performers. Um, Kraftwerk, Billy Preston, and there was a blues artist I've already forgotten Was his it name. Charlie Patton or Gil Charlie Patton. Patton. Mm-hmm. 
Charlie Patton as our influences. Uh, Clarence Avant, a.k.a. the Black Godfather, gets the non-performer Ahmed Erdogan Award. Uh, those who are not familiar with Ahmed Erdogan, he was a record executive, little bit of a songwriter, worked with Ray Charles. Um, that's that's why I know him. That's the first thing I think of is that he, uh, he was um, his character was portrayed in the movie Ray. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and for the musical award for musical excellence, you have LL Cool J, Billy Preston. And who's the last person? Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes. Gone too soon, Randy Rhodes. Yes. So um, I we've we've made this joke a couple of times. Whenever with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, is there a band in which there's a question if all the members will show up? <laughs> that is clearly the Go Go's. <laughs> Are they? Uh... I don't know if they're cool. They might be, but I don't. I don't know if they're cool. Yeah. It's funny because the Foo Fighters, I'm trying to think of bands that have been, and I guess you could maybe kind of say this for Jay-Z, but I feel like he's not really doing it. But the Foo Fighters are still regularly releasing music yeah, and are still selling out arenas. They have not missed it. And it's not like, oh, we had downtime. No, they've been popular for the last, <laughs> since they came out, they've never had a dip in popularity. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, you don't typically yeah. see that. <laughs> It's uh, it's hard to have that kind of staying power, regardless of genre. I know yeah. in rap, it's really hard. Yeah. So, I mean, you got to give Jay-Z credit for that. Yeah. Uh, in rock, I mean, you'll have your hardcore fans, but, you know, those bands might be playing. They're not playing Phillips Arena. <laughs> they might be playing Buckhead Theater, maybe. <laughs> you know, but... Um, to still have the popularity that the Foo Fighters have, you know, yeah, that's definitely definitely I mean, special. You could honestly argue they might be more popular now than they, they were. Yeah, it's like it's just weird, especially with. And this is something that um, Scott Fenty on the um, Rock and Roll NBA podcast and YouTube channel talks about how rock stars don't want to be rock stars anymore, and I think they are helped by the fact that Dave Grohl keeps a high profile. Yeah. Oh, he's he's yeah. he's everywhere, <laughs> and uh, he's pretty and he's charismatic. He's got the, he's a funny guy. Um, hell, even Courtney Courtney Love said like he wasn't like us. He was popular and <laughs> he was a cool kid. We weren't cool kids, so I think it helps that he's actually like if you bring top Dave Grohl in for an interview, he's actually going to be entertaining. And he I think he helps to keep them popular. I think they like what six members in there now, like three guitar players. Yeah, <laughs> like Pat Smear came back. <laughs> That'll be an interesting performance. Yeah, it should be. That should be fun. Um, and even though, like, we we did an episode about their um, album, The Color and the Shape. Mm-hmm. And I, was it, did we have the conclusion or did, you know, any of us mention that the dynamic between Dave and the rest of the band is the same? I can't remember if we did because I, I know we didn't make mention of like how it went from he did everything to yeah the know, first album he yeah, played everything brought in a band fired a drummer <laughs> <laughs> fired him behind his back, back yeah which was you know um and I mean I, I I don't know if I really know what the dynamic is there I mean they all seem to get along 
Pat Smear came back to, I mean, I don't think you put yourself in a situation that you don't like. I don't imagine Pat Smear needed the work. You know, he's right. in terms of um, alternative guitar players, he's kind of like a legend. If for those who know, um, Pat Smear's name is, he's a legend, but um, I don't, I mean, I can't really speak to the dynamic there. I think him and Taylor, I think maybe him and Taylor get along the most, maybe. Taylor seems to be the happiest in the band. <laughs> It, <laughs> all he's clearly the, the happiest <laughs> and the most secure because yeah. they keep make they made him play the girl a lot in their music video. <laughs> to put on the dress. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I wish they would do some more funny music videos like that. That would pl- I think that would play up really well in the YouTube TikTok era, like them making funny videos. Yeah, I guess it it's it, it's. <clears throat> They may have been on the verge of not being taken seriously, but even though, like, yeah, the videos are funny, but the songs are good. Yeah, and it, they weren't doing it on fun, funny songs. They were yeah. doing it on like Everlong. <laughs> His hand gets huge and he starts slapping people around or learn to fly, and you know they put drugs in the, in the coffee. That was what Jack Black and Kyle Glass were in there. Yeah, it was okay, D. yeah, Tenacious D was in there with them, and Jack Black was on another video with him a few years later. I think that was on the Orange. Um, was it Orange County movie? The yeah. movie called Orange County. With well, Jack I know Jack Black. Black was in Orange County. Yeah, I think it was right around that time. And he was he was in the video again with them when Jack Black was just blowing up. He was everywhere. <laughs> um, but with the uh, with the uh, with the Go Go's, I don't know. I feel like their run was so short. Yeah. So this is one of those bands where. But were I, they that influential? I mean, I, I honestly don't know. So I had this conversation with a couple of members of a band I'm in, um, maybe just a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, and we were talking about the Go-Go's and how they were one of the first girl, all-girl rock bands to really blow up. And I think maybe they're getting in a little bit on influence, on being, you know, like trendsetters, originals, so to speak. Um, because, I mean, I... I can't think past maybe like a handful of hit songs that, you know, they definitely weren't popular past the 80s. Yeah. Um there well there are some former members but the 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 three well maybe four, but I know the two the two main names I know, Belinda Carlisle and Jane Weedland, they're in the band. All I know is Belinda so, Carlisle. And she went solo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I get the the main member I was like, is, would she show up? Is Belinda Carlisle? But they there there is still a lineup. They're still active. So yeah. So I mean, what three studio albums, all in the eighties, um, that were the four. popular ones. Well, there was four, but it's, but their last one was twenty years ago. Yeah, in two thousand one, and I highly doubt it did anything. So, with Beauty and the Beat had. We got the beat and our lips are sealed. Um, vacation had vacation and some other songs I've never heard. <laughs> the only songs I know are our lips are sealed. We got the beat and vacation. Yeah. And head over heels seem to have been a hit also, but I'm maybe it's a, I'll know it if I hear it kind of thing. Yeah. Head over heels. If you hear it, you would think you would have probably thought it was someone else. It's been used in a lot of movies. Has this like piano part like do 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 do. If you heard it, you'd probably think it was. So, I I know I did for the longest. I had to um, Soundhound it. For those who don't know, Soundhound is the competitor to Shazam. It clearly lost. 
it holds a special <laughs> place in my heart. So I still hey, look, I still use it. So. I still use it. So because some people are like Soundhound, yeah. Okay. Yeah, you but you wouldn't know it was them. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah, I definitely know it was them. <clears throat> I think the first time I heard it, I thought it was like Pete Townsend because he kind of had that sound in the eighties. <laughs> He was just that let opened up the door. Oh I'll god. No, please. <laughs> or electric I light orchestra. Um the um doom 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 You know that song where it's like it's like a busy song, like they use it for like those times where it's like they're showing like traffic and stuff. I can't think of the name of the song, but that's I thought it was one of those two artists. And then I, you know, oh it's the go go's. Okay. <laughs> it's like Um Hold on, is it this one? I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, it's Mr. Sunshine or something like that. Mr. Blue Sky. Mr. Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was. I thought ELO did. Yeah, that head over head over hill song. Like, see, it, this could sound. It could be them. It could be them. ELO has a weird sound sometimes. I'd okay. probably say maybe ahead of their time as well. <laughs> For what they were doing. Um, I, I, well, anyway, uh, so they're um, they are going in. Um, what do you think of? Like for me, like yeah, like I said, their run was very short. Yeah, because we're not talking about that. God bless the Go Go's album. We're talking about their first three at best, mm-hmm. and that was over a three year period. Yeah, very like very flash of the pan. But then again, so. Not to compare them, I don't want to get anyone to get mad at me for this. But you think of someone like a Jimi Hendrix, who is in the Hall of Fame, who also had yeah. a short career. Granted, it was because he died, but he was considered so influential, you know, whether it be to guitar players, to black artists, or to just you know blues or whatever it is. They felt, you know, we felt the need to hold him in reverence for yeah. a long amount of time, and then you know, give you know, decorate him with all these awards. So maybe there is a subsect of people out there who are just like, hey, I picked up a guitar because of the Go-Go's. You know, it, that, that maybe that's what it is. I can't think of any other reason to put them in there, though. Um, I, I think part of it is, is their influence as well as mm-hmm. far as just females in rock music, pop rock music, whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it's they're part of they're definitely part of an era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I can't even think of, I don't know if you could find an article and see if anybody was snubbed this year. Um, well, I did have in front of me a second ago the people who, um, the um, nominees. I know Whitney Houston was um, a finalist. Yeah, let me see here. So in terms of, you had um, Mary J. Blige. Kate Bush, Devo, Iron Maiden, Shaka Khan, Fela Kuti, who is a Nigerian artist who is apparently incredibly influential. Yeah. In, in Nigeria. Uh, uh, especially um, if we if you were alive, ask Prince about him. Mm, yeah. Ask Questlove about him. Mm-hmm. Highly influential. Uh, New York Dolls. This one doesn't feel right. I, this is probably a snub. Rage Against the Machine. I feel like that's a snub. <laughs> you know, some some people. I you know what I think. You know what I think it is. Some people felt like the timing's not right, or it, it, it's too right. I was gonna say the timing. The timing is too definitely right. Definitely right. 
<laughs> the timing is it don't get righter. I mean, like it's too right for them. Um, and then Dion Warwick was also left out. Um, I don't know if I would feel that that's a snub, but Mary J. Blige, maybe. Definitely feel the Ray J's Machine one is a snub though. I, I don't know why they're not in as as. And I for me like if you're looking were. at this list, I, I have I, I see the list of finalists here. If you let the Go Go's in. You gotta let Devo in. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, because uh, their their run was just as short, but they're just as influential. And you know, I mean, maybe they got to do like Chicago did and make a documentary about themselves. Maybe. <laughs> how do, but yeah, Rage Against the Machine. I just think about how influential they were, and and going back and reading things about them and watching videos of them back in the day, and there was there had really been nothing like them. At the time, like it was, it was. Yeah, I'm there. The yeah. If there's a precursor to new metal, yeah, <laughs> it, you know, it's Rage Against the Machine. It's um, uh, who's the band that did that song? Epic. Faith No More. Faith No More. Yeah. I mean, they essentially you and know, Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're they're rapping. The pre, they're the godfathers of new metal. Yeah, you're you're rapping you over heavy riffs. Like you've got clearly, you know funk hip-hop inspired guitar riffs um a very strong rhythm section that makes it easy for zach de la roca to rap over or to sing over you know whichever he needed to do like you think about bulls on parade how like you know the chorus is very like is very metal and then you've just got this verse that's just like smoothed out yeah this really cool bass line that he can rap over and then it just comes back with it's just it's got everything yeah that's just I don't get it, man. Whatever. It's too right. How do you not let? How do you t- keep the go goes o- over that? <laughs> like, I mean, I liked our lips were sealed just as much as the next person, but you know that versus Gorilla Radio. <laughs> just saying, you know, just yeah, saying. Bulls on Parade. Um, yeah. um, when I think of Evil Empire. You know, I think of Battle of Los Angeles. I Killing mean, in the name, yeah. Sleep now in the fire, yeah. Good songs. Testify, no, yeah. Too much like right, yeah. Um, so uh, Carol King goes in as well. Um, credit more as an artist, but you know, tapestry. Any almost any female singer songwriter uh, re- references that as an influence. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, she has won multiple Grammys, of course. Um, she's written a lot. She has a lot of um. Well, with her husband, like she co-wrote, "Will You Love Me Tomorrow?" Some kind of wonderful. Um, she wrote some kind of wonderful. Yeah, she co-wrote that. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, she uh, wrote The Locomotion, co-wrote The Locomotion, um, Up on the Roof for the Drifters. Didn't realize she wrote so much. Uh, One Fine Day. Um, what else? Uh, you Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, Aretha Franklin Took this song, but Carol King wrote that one. 
Um, mm, okay. Yeah. So, and her and and then uh, with her husband, um, at the time, Jerry Goffin, they wrote a lot of songs together. So, uh, that's where it's, that's kind of where she got her um, <laughs> her fame at at that point because you know they wrote a lot of hits together. But as a solo artist. What what do you what do you think? Is there is there an issue there? I mean, I really don't have an issue with that. I don't either. I I mean, and I don't know a ton about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but just hearing you read off that resume, I'd, I'd have to kind of wonder. Well, I know you said she was in as a as a writer already. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that that just kind of makes me feel like why is she not in there already? But maybe they just look at writers and and performers differently. I don't know. But then again, it's like you know. Bob Dylan's in there, um, but then again, he, he sang most of his songs. I don't know. I've, I I I don't feel bad about her getting in. I feel good about her getting in, okay. and I don't feel I don't feel bad about her getting in over someone else, like a, you know, like a Mary J. Blige or something or or Diva. I don't feel bad about that. All right. Uh, how about Todd Rundgren? I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't want to be mean. I just I, I mean, he's someone, I, and I mean I. I'm not going to sit here and say that I know a ton about him, but like he's like, it doesn't come to mind. I was like, yeah, Todd Rungan needs to be in there. Like I know bang on the drum. And I remember that he was in the cars at one point. <laughs> I know he's done a lot of production work though. He's, um, he's made 20. He's now about to release his 26th album. If it's not out already. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. A lot, a lot quantity, <laughs> quantity, uh, also, his group, uh, Utopia, Utopia, his band, Utopia. Um, yeah, I know the song Bang on the Drum and um, Why Can't We Be Friends. I think that's what it's called. Was he like the war version? No, no. Uh, it was like a. Can can we still be friends? OK, I, I feel like I've heard in like many Adam Sandler movies. Mm hmm. I've heard this, okay. Yeah, that's him. I'm willing to bet that I've heard and a Hello lot of And Hello with Me songs. has been covered a lot. Yeah, I'm willing to bet I've heard his songs. I just didn't know it was him. <laughs> because that sounds so different from Bang on the Drum. <laughs> yeah, it's like he, he could be considered like one of the, I guess, the a blue-eyed soul. Well, actually, it, well, the wiki says straight up R&B. So, <laughs> um, but I think he, he more than dabbled in that. Um, I think what he, what he may be considered with as far as his, um, as an artist is having rock songs and R&B songs and pop and prog rock. Mm-hmm. So he's done all of these things uh, across genres. Um. So yeah, I mean, he's someone I'll, I'll look into a little bit more, and maybe I'll be able to talk about him. But like, just looking, it's got to be an influence thing. I do see he's done a lot of a lot of good production work, though. Um, yeah. We were an American band by Grand Funk Railroad, which was a very successful, influential album. Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf. 
Um, there's some there's some pretty good stuff. He did some work with the psychedelic furs, cheap trick. Um, I I don't know if people care at the tubes. I like them. <laughs> um, and then ecstasy, um, which was a very influential Bad religion. Yeah, Hollow Notes, early Hollow Notes. Yeah, like we didn't know who they were Stop yet. Stop it! He produced a Halfway Down the Sky by Splendor. Put him in. Wait, what? Put him in. On that alone, put him in. <laughs> wow, put him in. Wait, where do you see that? On his Wikipedia page. Halfway down the sky. That's insane. <laughs> Whose idea was that? <laughs> like, I'm not mad at it. That makes me very yeah, how happy. Did, how, how did that meeting go? <laughs> um. Yeah, very very interesting. Um, Today I, I learned. <laughs> um, Tina Turner, I, oh, I thought she was in already. Honestly, well, she's in there <laughs> with Ike, Ike and Tina Turner. So this is her. As I thought for her solo career, oh. she would have been in there already. Yeah, no, she's in there now. Which she had a very, I mean, she had a very su- successful solo career. But I think sometimes, um, the line can kind of blur between what she did with Ike and what she did by herself. Because some people don't realize, like you know. Proud Mary was with Ike. <laughs> yeah. People don't realize that. They're just like, oh, it's Tina. No, that's Ike and Tina Turner. So, because I'm trying to think, Private Dancer wasn't her first solo album, was it? No. It was her first, like... Big. Her breakthrough, though, right? Her breakthrough. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Private Dancer was her fifth solo album. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but it definitely was the breakthrough, right? Because I think a lot of her earlier stuff were just like a lot of covers mm-hmm. and her working with, um, let's see, Acid Queen was, no, that was with Ike. The one rough, I, that might have been her first one. No, she was still with, uh, still with the Ike and Tina Turner review. And then. Oh no, this was though. Okay, so Rough was the first one after she left Ike. Mm. And then Private Dancer is the third one after she left Ike. Okay. So it took her a little bit of time. Um it took a while, you know, but it's one of those like <clears throat> and we talked about this before with certain acts to where there are certain they have a certain kind of voice and they don't really fit into that box. mm mm-hmm. Mhm of what you think they should be like. She's a rock singer. Yeah. She's not just because she's black doesn't mean <laughs> it's R&B automatically. And it's not like I want to say like a soulful, smooth voice. That's a very she has a very aggressive voice. It's aggressive, That's it's very... raspy, it's like, like she's a rock singer. Yeah. And I I think I think some record execs at the time didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. Probably. How would how do we market a black rock singer? And though and you know, look at others like uh Betty Davis, not the actress, the the singer who was married to Miles Davis. <laughs> um and maybe Nona Hendrix. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of black female rock singers out there, but Tina Turner is like the 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 standard, I guess, for that, if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh Jay Z. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, 
there are a lot of purists that are upset at that. Get over it. Like, it's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. There's no Music Hall of Fame. This is what we got. It's to work the rock. With. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is the main one. That's the yeah. main Hall of Fame. This is what we got to work with. <laughs> there is a hip hop Hall of Fame, but Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is supposed to encompass all of this. Yeah. Okay. Would Alan Freed have played his records if he were alive? Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> In a word, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. And. Uh, LL Cool J, I thought he would be there in there as a performer. Like I don't, I don't know the difference Me either. with no. these, you know, because if Jay Z is in as a performer, okay, LL Cool J can be in as a performer too. Yeah, yeah, he's done. He's been on NCIS for a hundred years, <laughs> but <laughs> he's one of the most influential rappers ever. <laughs> he's gonna be in the Actor Hall of Fame <laughs> for his work. <laughs> Especially in the uh, the classic, the late '90s classic, Deep Blue Sea, like he's just, <laughs> you know, that's in his uh, his biography. That'll be the first yes. that they mention. Yes, <laughs> classic, classic performance. Like a shark's fin, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Billy Preston's uh, influence has been understated. I'd say so, but I think it's because. He was maybe it's overshadowed by the Beatles, because even that's where I first heard of him was from. You know, he was in the Beatles, and then they would play that commercial, that um, song, some nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Yeah, in some commercials in the '90s. But I mean, I, I think that can kind of happen with a lot of this older music, unless you were like larger than life, like the Beatles, like the Stones, like Led Zeppelin, like Tina Turner. You can kind of get lost in the shuffle, and and I mean, some people. I bet you there's a lot of people out there who think that Billy Preston was no more than just a session music, a really good session musician that somehow got to play with like, you know, what's considered the greatest rock band of all time when he was, he was more than that. And I mean, not yeah. to be mean, he was fifth Beatle. No, he was more talented than all of them. Yes. <laughs> not to be mean. Yes. Quincy yeah, Jones I, would have kicked him out of the studio. <laughs> it was probably his idea. I know this guy named Billy. He's really good. Y'all could use him. He can, he can hold you down. And so. I think also with Billy Preston, with his solo career, like maybe I don't know what people maybe expected because all the work he did with the Beatles. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he's a guy who could play. I think he played a lot of different instruments, amazing piano and keyboard mm -hmm. organ player. And there was no. I don't know, maybe maybe I don't know if he got the, the Stevie Wonder green light as far as creating his own music. And there wasn't really a focus. And then. He ended up having drug problems, and he kind of faded away. Yeah. Um, you know, the last I had heard of him uh, before he passed was a uh, – there was this TV show on – in the days of UPN or WB. Um, I, I think it was called Good News. Mm -hmm. And it was basically like – you remember the, the show from the 80s called Amen? The yes. sitcom with Sherman, Sherman Hemsley? Hemsley? Yes, yes. It was kind of like that, but in the 90s. <laughs> I think and, I might have seen this show. And Billy Preston played the uh I think he was just he was the the church organist, basically. Um I don't know if he'll be shown on here in his in his wiki. But he was on he was like the church organist for the show. And uh I didn't know I didn't realize it was him. For a while. Yeah, I've never heard of that show. 
but that sounds funny. But in, yeah, in the in the area, people know know that show. Uh, in the days of the WB and oh snap, is that the dude who plays Diggle? Yeah, that's the guy who's in um. He's on Arrow. <laughs> um, David Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he plays that's Diggle. The show. Yeah, yeah, that show. So yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think of Randy Rhodes being inducted? Um, I love that actually. I didn't know that. So we, I know we were talking about. It. I didn't know get, that musicians just like you know, musicians themselves could be in there. And I know that you know back then, um, <clears throat> he was really, really, really influential. I know we've got a lot of players who play like him nowadays. Um, and the '80s was kind of the birthplace of the shredder. I mean, you had some guys who were shredding before that. I think about the guys from Boston who were really good. Um, and I think about, um, you know, someone like Rick Derringer, who was really good as well, who was, you know, active in the seventies, but then, you know, like the late seventies, early eighties with Randy Rhodes and, and, um, kind of lit the world on fire. There's, you know, often that argument between like, you know, who did it first? Was it Randy Rhodes or was it Eddie Van Halen? (laughs) Um, and some people talk about the fact that, you know, Randy Rhodes, I believe was in quiet riot before he played for Ozzy and had a very similar warm up that um to eruption because essentially eruption was eddie's warm-up and he was noodling around the studio and a producer heard him was like hey let's put that on tape and there was all there was always this rumor going around and there's bootlegs i can't verify if they're accurate but i used to hear them back in the early um napster and limewire days of playing what his his eruption which predated um eddie van halen's eruption that he would play at quiet riot shows as warm-up or and then it became like a solo spot. So regardless, I mean, it's not like a contest. I mean, he was influential. I don't think there's any metal guitar player, at least, you know, from the 80s into the 90s that did not um, have an immense amount of respect for what Randy Rhodes did in this very short amount of time. You know, um, you even hear like, you know, Zach Wilde, who was the guitar player who replaced Randy Rhodes um, in the early 90s, talk about how like, I can't play like that. (laughs) And he talks about like a conversation he had with Sharon Osbourne right before the audition. He's like, yeah, I'm not a shredder like that. I can't do that. And she's like, don't try to be Randy. Just be yourself. She's like, you've got that thing, which she was trying to describe as pinch harmonics, which he's really, really known for. But, you know, even someone who, who um, garners that much respect in the metal community as a Zach Wilde even felt that it was tough to, step into the shoes of Randy Rhodes, who had, you know, a short career, but like, my God, like it's, you know, like a a metal, although they called, you know, Jimi Hendrix metal, but kind of like a heavy metal version of Jimi Hendrix, just gone too soon. So who came in, gave us some like really, really good stuff while he was here and then, you know, tragically died in a plane accident. And you kind of have to wonder, like, what does the landscape of, of heavy metal rock guitar, you know, develop into if he stays alive and keeps playing because i mean he was there's no doubt he was really 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 good at yeah. what he did he's only 25 yeah he was we just scratching the surface yeah <laughs> um so yeah the well I, well i've never really watched the ceremony but it's good to see that um you know everyone inducted uh yeah I'm or whatever they'll reason. bring up to play 
you know, if they, because I, I know for the, you know, for the bands, they'll have them come up and play. Yeah. Do they do that for the, for the musical excellence? So like, will some, will LL Cool J come up and perform? Will, you know, Randy, I don't know. will someone come up on behalf of Randy Rhodes and, you know, do it? Are they going to, can they get Ozzy to come out there and do Crazy Train or, or um, Mr. Crowley or something, you know? I don't know. Um, that'll be interesting how they how they do it. I mean, it could be it could really be anybody who they mm-hmm. things could pull it off. Yeah. Get <laughs> uh, Randy, get get Zach Wild in there. Zach, I bet Zach Wild yeah. would do it. I bet Zach Wild would be like, "Hell yeah, do it." <laughs> Tom Morello might be like, "Let me do it. It's the closest I'm going to get." Tom, <laughs> you know what? Tom Morello is really good, and I think people that sometimes passes people by because he uses all those weird effects. Yeah. And they're like, he can't play a solo, but then he did that solo and doesn't remind me with Audio Slave. I think to shut some people up who said he can't play, because he's he's like going ham. And I think he was just like, yeah, just in case you didn't know, I can play. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone had to kind of shut up, you know. <laughs> uh, let's get to the. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the Billboard Music Awards. Did you watch the ceremony? No, neither no, I did, did I. Um. I I saw a snippet of Doja Cat performing. That's as cl- that's as much as I watched. Um, so the uh, here are the awards. I feel like this is all math um, instead of like voting on merit. Mm-hmm. Um, the top artist went to the weekend. The Grammy snubbed the weekend. <laughs> so sad. Uh, so sad. Top new artist went to Pop Smoke, and I think someone asked this question. Would Pop Smoke be getting the accolades and all of the, the the love that he's gotten if he were still alive? That's a good question. I mean, I didn't really hear anything about him till after he died, but then again, I also had been hearing like he was about to blow, like he was about to break. This yeah. was his, you know. So, I mean, I like to think that it was just his turn, and. We had a lot of good stuff, and they released it. And I like to think that he probably still, because I mean, it's not bad stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I should say compared to what's out today, you know, it, it fits. So I, I think he'd be. I think he'd still be blowing up. Uh, top male artist went to the weekend. Top mm-hmm. female artist Taylor Swift. Top duo or group went to BTS. How is ACDC in there? What are they doing? I I don't know I I don't know how ACDC fits into this. It's <laughs> really weird. Uh, built top Billboard 200 artist went to Taylor Swift. Top Hot 100 artist went to The Weeknd. Top streaming songs artist went to Drake. Top song sales artist BTS. Top radio songs artist The Weeknd. Social artist fan vote of course BTS. I'm like that's that's no real surprise. This feels so corporate. Yeah. Like reading these. Like this feels Top like a R&B artist went to The Weeknd. <laughs> I know some people had an issue with that. Is The Weeknd really R&B or is he pop? Um he's also top he had won top R&B male artist. Other nominees were Justin Bieber and Chris Brown. Is this where we are now? This is where we are now. Yeah, this is, this is That's we are. R&B. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Get your peaches out in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, top R&B female artist Doja Cat top rap artist Pop Smoke and top rap, rap male artist Pop Smoke top R&B female artist Megan Thee Stallion top country artist The Irredeemable or Redeemable Morgan Wallen 
He also is top country male artist. Gabby Barrett, top country female artist. Top country duo group, Florida Georgia oh. Line. Oh, they're still doing it. Okay. Oh, they're still around. <clears throat> top rock artist, Machine Gun <laughs> Kelly. Oh, I know they're salty. Oh, I know they're salty. They hate him. Rock hates him. Oh, my God. They're, I know they're salty. What do you think Eminem is like? That that wasn't the plan. <clears throat> or, oh, well, okay. He found something. Someone <laughs> Maybe that's where Corey, he's supposed to be. <laughs> call Corey Taylor. Corey Taylor hates him. Everyone, <laughs> ever since he made that comment about comfy shoes, that they basically, it went over their head, they don't like him. And this is, to see that he won this, I hope he wins more awards because he's doing it right. He's trying to be a rock star. And he's he's the swift kick in the ass that they need. So keep on, keep on, MGK, keep on. Yeah, because I mean, the only, I mean, AC, he won it over ACDC, which is funny. He won uh, over Five Finger Death Punch, <laughs> which is even funnier because. And 21 yeah. Pilots? Are, is, they're rock? They're, con- yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they're considered right. rock. Uh, top Latin artist, Bad Bunny, top, and he won top uh, Latin male artist. Top Latin female artist, Carol G, uh, top Latin doer group, El Saban Armado. Never heard of him. Sorry. Uh, top dance electronic artist, Lady Gaga. Top Christian artist, Elevation Worship. Carrie uh, Underwood got in there, bro. Carrie Underwood is <laughs> it was nominated in there. Who was not nominated in there? Oh, he was put in the gospel category, Kanye West. <laughs> um, top Billboard 200 album went to Pop Smoke for Shoot for the Stars and for the Moon. Top R&B album, The Weekend After Hours. Top rap album, Pop Smoke. Top country album, Morgan Wallen. Top rock album, Machine Gun Kelly. Uh, Yes, I love it. I Uh, love it. Early adopter here. Early adopter. (laughs) Top Latin album, Bad Bunny. And apparently came out with three albums in the past year or so. Top dance electronic album, Lady Gaga. Top Christian album, Carrie Underwood. Top gospel album, Maverick City Music. Do you think they were afraid to put Carrie Underwood in the gospel because she was white, even though yes. she did an album of hymns? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that's just funny to me. Like it, it was... It's kind of like how you could look at throughout the history of, of music when black any music black people do is R&B. Mm-hmm. If they're white and they did the same kind of music, it's pop. Yep. In this, in this instance, it's if they're white <laughs> and do, you know – hymns Come or Jesus and any anything talking cross. about Jesus it's Christian <laughs> but if a black person does it it's gospel there what's the difference these are uh, we, we read off, hit us up by the time you hear yeah. this at gmail.com what is the difference between Christian music and gospel music like we read off the track list these are hymns these are hymns <laughs> you will, these are things you will hear <laughs> Like I've been seeing this during the, the devotional part of yeah, the service. I've been to some of the contemporary Christian churches. They're not playing these songs. <laughs> you go to the old black churches, they're playing these songs. She could come in and all she'd have to do is tell the keyboard player the key and she could sing it. <laughs> and it could be one of those where she starts singing and the keyboard player figures out the key because that happens too. Yeah. If someone just starts singing. They just get like, just, oh, let me catch up to we, you. We figured this out. Okay, now we are. And then they get everybody else in. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I was just curious because like there's. Low key, yeah. church music is, is a little like jazz. You just kind of pick it up. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone does You just got to catch up. 
And, you know, we start off, we're going to start somewhere. Yeah. But and we're gonna all going to get there together. <laughs> everyone does it different. You, no two churches do it the same. <laughs> uh, top Hot 100 song, Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. Top streaming song, uh, Rockstar, Baby and Roddy Rich. Top selling song, Dynamite by BTS. Uh, does when those when that song was in like all those commercials did that count too as selling maybe uh top radio song blinding lights by the weekend top collaboration by fan vote gabby barrett featuring charlie pooth top r&b song blinding lights top rap song rock star top country song i hope top rock song bang by ajr uh top latin song bad bunny and jay cortez Top dance electronic song, St. John. Top Christian song, Ev- uh, Elevation Worship, featuring Brandon Lake. Top gospel song, Kanye West featuring Travis Scott. That's almost not fair that they're in this category. <laughs> but, hey, Kanye won a lot of awards based on with his gospel album. And I feel like he just won because it's a name they recognized. Mm-hmm. Not to say that it's bad. I haven't even listened to it. Nor have I. But I, I feel like it was more name recognition than anything else. Uh, let's look at the charts here. The Hot 100 for this week. Um, number one, it debuting at number one, Good For You by Olivia Rodrigo. So she's got a second hit. I have not heard this song. I so. have not either. Or I think I did and I didn't like it, but I, I don't remember. Number two, debuting at number two, My Life by J. Cole featuring 21 Savage and Moray. Uh, he's had a he's had a, an incredible couple of weeks here. Yeah. Played um, basketball, rapping. Apparently this one is fire. I haven't heard it yet, but like a lot of people are liking it. Yeah, but I you, there you've seen that meme where it's like Fans listening to a J. Cole album and you see the timer on like one second, like one second into the song mm-hmm. and like, oh, my God, I love this song. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that kind of J. Cole fan. Like there are people probably calling it a classic already. I mm-hmm. guarantee you. I will say, though, look like he's back to features. Yeah, features. Yeah, feature yeah. this time. So it's probably a result of the fact that he's managing this and a. NBA Africa career. That can be difficult. That can be. He's like, I need some help. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Number three, Levitating, Dua Lipa featuring the baby. Number four, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. Uh, They're joking a lot about when the album is coming out, and it may never come out. There might not be an album. Might just be another single. (laughs) (laughs) Might not be another single either. Leave the door open forever. might be it. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to always leave the door open. Door stays that's open. What, maybe that's what they meant. They was like, we we're leaving the door open for possibilities <laughs> that are never coming. It was more a figure of speech rather than, you know. Uh, number five, Amari by J. Cole, debuting at number five. Number six, Peaches, Justin Bieber featuring mm-hmm. Daniel Caesar and Giveon. Debuting at number seven, Pride is the Devil, J. Cole and Lil Baby. Number eight, 95 South by J. Cole. Did he sample one of their songs? I don't know. You, you're thinking of um, Young Bloods. Are you thinking of the or the group ninety five? The group ninety five South. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's a that that that. Some rappers do that if they're trying to connect. If they're trying to be retro, they mm-hmm. sample a ninety song. 
<laughs> and they just, it's chopped and screwed, not slowed reverb, chopped and screwed, <laughs> y'all. Okay. Um, and, uh, and kind of go from there. And number 10, Kiss Me More, Doja Cat featuring SZA. Uh, Billboard 200, these are the albums um, debuting at number one, the off season, J. Cole. Number two, Beam Me Up Scotty, Nicki Minaj. This is now, this is kind of cheating. Because this is a mixtape that came out in 2009. And some people didn't even know that. I found out myself recently. Because like this, because the cover looked like this looks like a mixtape or this is the most, this is probably really bad because it's probably nonsense. Mm -hmm. How is it called? Be Me Up Scotty. And on the cover, she's dressed as Wonder Woman. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what's supposed to be going on There's here. not much that Nicki Minaj There is like no logic. But if it's a mixtape from 2009, you just make it as flashy as possible. Uh, no logic required. Yep. Number three, A Gangsta's Pain by Moneybag Yo. Number four, he's still around, man. <laughs> Morgan Wallen. Oh, man. Number five, Future Nostalgia Dua Lipa. Debuting at number six, Delta Cream by The Black Keys. They're back. Number seven, Justin Bieber's Justice. Number eight, Khaled Khaled by DJ Khaled. Uh, I wonder what he did to try to, uh, he, he debuted at number three. Um, actually, no, he de he was number one. Did he debuted hear, at number one. Did you hear that, um, a rap, I can't remember which rapper it was, compared him to Quincy Jones. So he's, yeah. the, he's the modern day Quincy Jones and. I said that to somebody, you proceeded to and that. they were uh, they were definitely put off by that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, not fully like Quincy Jones because Quincy Jones at least played an instrument. Yeah, Quincy Jones at least wrote some songs. Mm -hmm. Fat Joe did it. Yeah, it's a. I think it's an awful comparison. Quincy Jones is is. It's only half. It's only halfway at best. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about gathering talent, okay, yeah, they did it, but like. Does DJ Khaled have the musical mind that Quincy Jones has? I don't know him, but I'm just gonna say I highly doubt it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just wondering what did he do to try to get up to number one this time? Was what kind of like cheesy promotion? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> did he do? Uh, number debuting at number nine. Where have you gone by Alan Jackson? And number oh. ten, shoot for the stars, aim for the moon, pop smoke. George's own Alan Jackson. Look at that. Back in. Okay. Good for you, buddy. Artist 100. Number one, of course, J. Cole. <laughs> um, you know, some people, uh, I think like some, I don't, I mean, I don't know any of the other players in the Basketball Africa League. But one of the players did say that what J. Cole is doing is, is disrespectful to the game. Why? Because he just wants to play or? Yeah, yeah because he, because he's being allowed to play. And somebody else is like, hey, look, y'all better be glad that he's bringing attention to your Africa Rec League. Yeah, like, <laughs> I wouldn't even know this thing existed if it weren't for him. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. You're, you're always going to have those people who feel like, you know, like when Magic, Magic Jordan, Michael Jordan played baseball and people thought that, you know, oh, you're only bringing him in here because he's Michael Jordan. Clearly, yeah, we're like, bringing him in because he's Michael Jordan. <laughs> That's but that's besides the point. Like he's still he was still out there hustling. He was still out there, you know, he was playing hard. And J. Cole, I'm sure, isn't like sitting I doubt J. Cole just sitting back and, you know, 
giving the Allen Iverson practice rant and you know being like I'm Jay Cole. And I don't he's have not. To practice. I mean, he hasn't. It's not like I know he probably didn't go in thinking, oh, I'm gonna give him thirty. I'm giving him thirty five <laughs> every game. Do you know no, how many times people posted that highlight of him uh, with that rebound and that layup? Uh, his first basket, three points in his first game, <laughs> and then and then like, oh, look at this free throw, and like they show the re- like he made a layup, and then later on he made a technical free throw. Yeah, and they were like replays of that. Like, okay, I mean, it's good that he's doing this. He's living out a dream. Yeah, Master uh, P, Master P never did it. <laughs> No, Master he played in the preseason game for the yeah. NBA team. Yeah, but he didn't – I guess he never made a roster officially like J. Cole has. I mean, if Master Pete played in the Basketball Africa League, he probably – he would have made the team. <laughs> he would have made the team. So I'm very he curious. He would have started too probably. I'm very curious now because everyone was just like, well, yeah, we knew J. Cole could ball because when they would show him in rec runs with pros, he looked good. And it's like, were the pros really being serious though? I doubt it. Like – we shouldn't have a lot of open threes. They're like, oh, we'll let J. Cole hang around. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Or they probably said, oh, you, you can play. You can play. Like, y'all leaving him open. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it, look, it's good that, he, that he's playing. He's living out a dream. Let's get Is LeBron he going to play in the NBA? No. Let's get LeBron James over there, man. I bet LeBron James could hold his own. <laughs> have you seen LeBron James? LeBron James? Yeah, a guy named Will Hartzell. He's it's he, it's incredible. He's <laughs> LeBron. Yeah, he's this uh redhead kid out of Mississippi that balls on his parents' farm. He makes everything, like all of his equipment that he plays on and works out on, he makes. He's pretty good. Um he plays in like boots. <laughs> and they call him LeBron James. His name's Will Hartzell, but they call him oh. LeBron James. I okay. Yeah. I know you're talking about. I've seen yeah. a couple of his videos. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty good. He'll sometimes he'll go in like cities and play, and he gets people mad because he's like, they don't think he's good. Like he shows up dressed like a farmer as a gimmick, and then he like you know his jump shot's wet, so he's like hitting them in their face like go guard him. And it's just like no, he's good. Like it's <laughs> it's just funny to me. Um, get some of these guys out there. So yeah. Look, he like I said, he's living a dream, mm-hmm. and y'all wish you could. Um, Agreed. Number two, Olivia Rodrigo. Uh, number one song. Yep. Not a one hit wonder officially. Uh, number three, Dua Lipa. Number four, Drake. Uh, he won the Artist of the Decade Award for the Billboard Awards. Okay. Uh, number five, Nicki Minaj. Number six, The Weeknd. Number seven, Ariana Grande. Number eight, they were unranked last week, <laughs> The Black Keys. All right. And number nine, unranked last week, Alan Jackson. And this is his <laughs> highest ranking ever. <laughs> and number 10, the nicest man in country, Luke Combs. I do wonder, because he is the perpetual Kentucky recruit, how does Drake feel about this? About, about J. Cole getting a run with NBA. Is he like, I could do that? He's rubbing his knees like, oh, that could have been me. (laughs) (laughs) I've never actually seen him play other than like the layup line at Kentucky. Is he any good? I really don't know. Yeah. He's torn his ACL a couple of times. Oh, he has? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Then never mind. No, (laughs) No, no, he's not. Then he's, yeah. That's why I say he's rubbing his knees. I didn't know that. That's painful. Uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up here is uh, 
as Ben says, this has to be taken with a thick grain of salt uh, <laughs> because it's from Pitchfork. But they had an article that says, listening to new music, the scientific benefits of listening to new music, a discussion of why it's good for your brain to listen to music you haven't heard before. And this was from their podcast, The Pitchfork Review. Um, and uh, let's see. Uh, so Jer- they talked to Jeremy Larson. And uh, he's the uh, editor. So it's the editor-in-chief, Pooja Patel, and reviews editor, Jeremy Lawson, have this discussion. And so Pooja Patel says, why do you think it's important for us to be listening to new music right now? And Jeremy Larson says, I think being engaged with new music is a way of being engaged with the present. And during a pandemic, it can seem a little scary to engage with the present because the present is not a very fun time. (laughs) It's filled with death and fear and trauma and joblessness and a tanking economy. This is going to sound involuted and kind of stonery, but hear me out. (laughs) It's important to engage with the present because soon that's going to become the past and that's going to be your future nostalgia. So you're just going to rip off Dua Lipa right there with your with your take. Uh, (laughs) That is one reason why I think new music is so vital for engaging. Um, What is this? And ask for this ad. Okay. Uh, Engaging. uh, Why I think new music is so vital for engaging with. Uh, And the guy other guy says, totally. I mean, just the fact that listening to new music feels like embracing a perspective that isn't your own. It offers access to communities and cultural happenings and dramas and traumas and celebratory things that you have no access uh, and often no right to. And it's being presented to you in a way that is willingly asking for your participation or your engagement in it feels special. Uh, so what what do you think of that? Because that's that's the end of the article. <laughs> what so what do you think, think of that of that perspective? I think their reasoning really should have been listening to different music. So yeah, just new stuff. Yeah, if you just listen to, if you just listen to hip hop all the time, even if you're listening to new music, you're not getting these perspectives that they're, that they're talking about. If you just listen to country music, if you just listen to rock, if you just listen to one type of music, then you're not getting that perspective. He talks about cultural, um, embracing a perspective that isn't your own, access to cult communities and cultural happenings and dramas and traumas. So if you're only listening to one type of music, you're not getting that. You're getting more of what you already have. Yeah. Which is why I always encourage people to branch out and listen to, you know, so many different things. Just because that's that's really how you learn. Not only about yourself, but or not about other people, but about yourself as well. You know, how do you react to music? If you are somebody who only listens to rock music and you listen to a hip-hop song, how does it make you feel? You might learn something about yourself. Yeah. You know, and you can also find out some people's demeanors based on how they perceive and how they analyze it. Like how, like you'll see, and I see this on Reddit all the time, where they think that 90s gangster rap was glorifying violence. And then someone has to come in and say, no, it wasn't glorifying violence. It was just telling, they were just telling you what they saw and experienced. Nobody was glorifying this at all. Well, it was kind of like, like um, uh, mm-hmm. if anyone is listening to Crank Lucas, he's a, um, he is a produ- he's a rapper, he's a producer as well, um, but he also makes comedy sketches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he made a video about the 
um, drug references in rap songs, mm-hmm. you know, and he kind of played, it was kind of the same, he kind of remixed the beat over different decades. So like in the eighties, when they're talking, when the rappers talked about drugs, it was about, it was anti-drug. Yeah. Like we, you know, the crack, this crackhead ran into me and, and then, you know, it was a, it was a story <laughs> about that, you know, so it was anti-drug in the nineties. It became selling drugs to get by. Yeah. Um, like, you know, the lights about to get cut off. We got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the two thousands, it was about selling drugs because it's cool. So more of the two thousands, maybe it was more glorifying it, but I'm getting all the women. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm getting, I'm making all this money. Yeah. And then in the 2010s, it was about using drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, IE future. Yeah. <laughs> so like the, you can't just sum it up with one thing, yeah. but with the nineties gangster rap, yes, they are completely wrong because yeah. it was more like, I'm doing this because I have to, I have no other choice. They were, they're essentially, they were folk singers. They're telling stories. Um, And someone who might not come from that world can't relate to it because they've not been there. You know, Um, just like the person who might say that, you know, all of metal music is devil worshiping music. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, if you read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics and then or read them, there, it's not about that at all. So that's I think that's more so that should be the message that listening to different types of new music, you know, because if you ever heard it, you know, like what they say, if, if, it's, if I haven't seen it, it's new to me. So like, yeah, you know, you could go back and listen to, you know, um, Juicy by Biggie. And I just that that came to mind as you're talking about like you had. He says in the beginning, you know, to the people who called the cops with me because I was selling drugs in front of their apartment because I was just trying to feed my daughter, trying to feed my daughter. That encompasses what it was about in the 90s. It wasn't about like they weren't telling like, like, man, I love doing this. No, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Juicy was talking about how I used to have to do this. And now I don't because I got money (laughs) from rapping. But I'm still going to talk about it because that's where I came from. Um, You know, that's. You know, that perspective, if you haven't heard, you know, thinking back to someone else who talks about, you know, where they came from, um, Nebraska by John Mellencamp, (laughs) kind of, you know, kind of an album. Maybe if you want to understand why, you know, granted, there is some racism, but if you want to understand why uh, people in the Midwest feel that um, people in the in the big cities are ignoring them, go listen to those albums, because life there is very different than life on the coasts. And you know, no one really cared, and they got ignored, and now they're mad. Um, but if you if you go and listen to that music, you can you can hear, you know, pink houses where he talks about people who vacation down the Gulf of Mexico, like they're you know they're storytellers. So you can you can really learn some perspective, and kind of understand you know your future nostalgia. <laughs> you can predict the future by going back and listening to what has been said. Is all I'm trying to say. So yeah. I want to add to that that you know, hearing that from somebody like Pitchfork, mm-hmm. um, like just listening to new music, and I agree with you, like listening to different kinds of music and <clears throat> finding different, um, like searching for music on your own. Yeah, I've mentioned this here, and and Ben knows I am notorious for not listening to the radio. <laughs> so I feel like from Pitchfork's 
Pitchfork's perspective, it's about listening to new music when it comes on the radio or when it comes up on someone's Spotify playlist, New Music Friday or something. Yeah. You know, uh, for me, it's, um, it's really, you know, trying to discover things for yourself. Mm-hmm. Not to say you discovered somebody, but, you know, you find things for yourself and it doesn't necessarily have to be brand new. It could be something that came out a year ago, 20 years ago, yeah. whatever. But it's, <clears throat> it can bring out a response from you because it's something that you haven't heard before and it could give you a new perspective. So, yeah, I definitely don't look at it as just new music, but kind of just venturing out yeah. uh, outside of your own musical taste. Yeah. And the broader it is, um, the better person you are. Uh, that's just me. <laughs> no, I, I agree. No, you do You do need a, a broad sense. And I do think when I hear about musicians who don't, because it's, it's, I will say it's very rare that you hear about really successful musicians who only listen to their genre. It's yeah. almost unheard of, if, if we're just being honest. Well, there's... Uh, um, a lot of, I feel like a lot of rappers, yeah, they may be fans of other rappers, of mm-hmm. course, and want to work with them and all that. I honestly don't think a lot of rappers listen to hip hop on their on their own time. Probably not. I think they're listening to a lot of different things. Um, you know, one one prime example of that is Kanye. Oh yeah, I, I, he, I, I think <laughs> he said it. He like he rarely listens to rap. Uh, if he's not like working on it. Yeah, and I think, if anything, Kanye probably made it cool to do that, made it okay. Um, I know we've talked about how he was, how 808s and Heartbreaks was so influential on, you know, this crop of rappers that came out of the last, you know, 10 to 15 years or so, um, just because of the way that album was made and, and how it sounded. And, um, and then, of course, with him wanting to be a rock star, making songs where... Like you think of all of the lights, great song. Yes, it's a rap song, but it's not like a technical or a difficult rap or anything like that. It's a very simple rap that you can almost sing along to with a really big, you know, repetitive chorus that everyone can sing along to. That's what he was trying to do. And how do you do that when no one else in rap is doing it? You go to other genres where it's being done. And then you take that and you somehow find a way to to intertwine it with rap music. And then what do you get? You get All of the Lights, a song that like could be played in arenas with a light show, no pun intended, but with a big light show and Kanye in the middle of it just kind of going going in like a big rock star. And I I, I think he kind of made it cool because before that, man, why are you listening to that white music? Well, you know, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> why aren't you? <laughs> That should be the response now. You know yeah. what? Shut up. <laughs> Say, and then the same thing to, you know, not to point fingers, but 97 won the river, who I will no longer listen to. Well, I mean, I don't listen to radio anyway. But back when I was listening to the radio more and they made a comment about how rap is crap. I don't take it either way. I don't take that that type of crap from rappers or from rock artists because it's stupid. Yeah. Because your favorite rock artist is probably, they might not be listening to straight up hip hop, but they're listening to something similar. They're, you know. All the successful ones are. <laughs> All they are. They just they're listening, you know, and they hold some of these artists in reverence. So like we gotta get out of that. We gotta get out of that. Definitely. Um You're missing out. 
Uh, well, that'll do it for our music news. Um, so, Ben, can you tell us about your earworm of the week? Yes, one of my most influential influential people, artists, whatever. Um, Raphael Sadiq. Um, I think it's from his album Ray Ray. It's called Chic. Smooth. <laughs> it's just so smooth. Um, I don't know how this album missed me back in the day. Um, but kind of as we're talking about here, going back and finding new music, this was new to me. And I, this is what I love about having streaming now. Like I know artists don't like it because they don't get as much, but it's a smorgasbord for the fan. Cause you can go back and find stuff from people that you like now that came out long ago. You can, and it's, it costs nothing extra to hear it and you can just listen to it and, and appreciate it. And I just, I think it's it's been a double-edged sword like the entertainers you know they're not able to make as much money but like i think we have a more informed and educated music fan than ever nowadays because anything we talk about on here they can go find our playlist and listen to it if we put it on a playlist or they can go find it themselves and then once they or once they find the playlist they can listen to that artist and be like oh that's cool what more have they done (laughs) and the, the possibilities are endless. Yes. This is a golden age. It's never been this good, man. <laughs> Back when this came out, this would have been like, what, 20 bucks to buy? <laughs> it's never been this good. <laughs> All right, so let's check this out. This is Chic by Raphael Sadiq featuring Tidra Moses. At least this version. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> mm-hmm. we're going to check that out, and we'll be right back. Try it. Your love's gonna do 
by Raphael Sadiq featuring Tijer Moses from his album Ray Ray. Love that bass line. And you can find that on our T-B-T-T-Y-H-T Earworms playlist on Spotify right now. And if you're not familiar with Raphael Sadiq, I would, if you like Neo Soul, I definitely suggest you go check out everything by him. Yes. <laughs> Just and play something. You're going to find something you like. And then look into what else he did too, because he's he's done a lot. Oh, and now me uh got Lucy Pearl on there. So they mm-hmm. was a brief reunion at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you well, you said who did you say it was was it Don that you said you think was the reason they broke up? Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not like totally on her, but someone <laughs> says something to her and she was just done. <laughs> They're like, hey, don't let go. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. <laughs> Or or she probably had a rule, don't mention in vogue around me. <laughs> and someone did. <laughs> but anyway, it's just jokes. Um so we started the this episode with a live version of the song Suburbia by one Butch Walker. And uh this is part two or episode two or whatever you want to call it of our Georgia series in which we look at Georgia artists from some perspective. Um, as you may have heard Butch Walker say, he is, he is the song is about growing up in Cartersville, Georgia, which is apparently an hour North of yeah, about an hour North of Atlanta, of yeah. Atlanta. Um, the hometown to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. That's uh <laughs> I guess at this point he might be their most famous because most of what Butch Walker has done has been behind the scenes. Yeah. So, I mean, he was he was local famous. I know the Marvelous Three were pop had, you know, had their one or two hits, but never really received um, huge fame. And then, of course, his work as a producer, you know, in rock, you don't really have producer tags. You know, you're not you're not faceless, but you are nameless, you know. Yeah. The good producers, I'm, I mean, man, I'll, look, yeah. if if rock producers started doing tags, that'd be hilarious. It'd be funny, and I'd be done. The only person <laughs> I can really think of that like Butch Vig maybe is is a producer whom like your like your average fan might know just because he was in Garbage. I can't think of any others though. Um, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, but I mean, he's not exclusively rock, you know. Yeah. Like when I think of Rick Rubin, I think of he, you know, he's everywhere. Bob Rock, maybe yeah, Bob Rock because of his involvement with Metallica and how involved mm. <laughs> he was with Metallica. Um, some very funny interactions between him and the band in their um, the documentaries. Only one thing maybe Mutt Lang, yeah, Mutt Lang. Yeah, that was what I was thinking, but not really many more people. And Butch Walker kind of falls into that, um, you know. So like we said, he's from Cartersville. North of Atlanta, a very small town. If you hear him talk, you can kind of hear that country accent. And he's really, for the most of his career, outside of touring, really his home base has been Georgia. Yeah. Ruby Red Studios is a studio that he opened back in the early 2000s when he started doing his production. You know, started out with bands like um, Injected, which is a Atlanta band also, but 
not big enough for us to do an episode on. No. <laughs> they had a uh, Faithless that was on the uh, Fast and Furious soundtrack, and yeah, I remember hearing that song in high school. Yeah, that's a good that's a good track. They they look like they're pretty cool guys. Um, funny story, they're the reason why we wanted to play a barn party or a field party because we thought it'd be cool. Because um, they make it look so cool in the video, and that's what me and Chris thought it was gonna be. And then we got there, and like the temperature dropped. It was cold. There were no lights. We didn't have power. We had to use it like. Then Chris had to bring a generator. I was like, no, this is the worst thing ever. <laughs> they had a bonfire, but we were too far away from it, <laughs> so we couldn't feel it. I think Brian started going crazy, and he hit somebody with his bass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, memories. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of uh, – that's his career, I guess, up until his um, – you know, from being in The Marvelous 3, he was in a glam band in the 80s. Which I think, you know, knowing what you, I know about him, his guitar playing style and how Marvelous 3 was really fits. Um, if you see, have you, so have you seen the video for Freak of the Week? Yeah. Yeah, they've got like makeup on and the teased hair and the, and the tight clothing and everything. They look like, you know, they look like rock stars, like they could have been in T-Rex or something. Like that was their, their thing. Um, and I guess after, you know, Marvelous 3 didn't really pan out, pan out is when he started doing that production. Although he came out with a solo album first, which was... Uh, that was uh, Left of Self-Centered? Or was there something before that? Well, Left of Self-Centered was the first one. That had Suburbia on it, the one that he talked about. And I and the reason I didn't even think about that is because he changes styles so much. Left of Suburbia... Uh, Left of Self-Centered was very in the vein of Marvelous 3. But then Letters, when that came out, that was just different. Like It was when he kind of started going for a lo-fi indie sound. Um, like the drums weren't as big, very quiet drums, um, very filtered voice. I can't think of what to call it, like where he would take out all the bass and it would just mostly be highs and mid. Um, and then like that kind of became his sound until he came out with, I believe it was, was it Sycamore Meadows where he went more like, a, um, more in the direction of like um, Bruce Springsteen, I believe, or it might have been the Spade. I can't remember, but he did that. And but he's really kind of reinvented himself. He's been singer songwriter and folkish. He's been indie. He's been glam rock. He's been pop rock. Um, so that's kind of been his his thing, you know, throughout his whole career as, as solo artist. But as a producer, it's always been big, huge. So you got the playlist queued up with some of that stuff uh yeah give me a second plug back in here okay uh so uh as we mentioned we do have a playlist for butch walker of his uh let's just say notable productions yeah. it's not everything <laughs> it, there is a lot yeah. but it's a it's a lot of the good stuff yeah so i think of some of his earlier stuff um he did some work on SR-71's album, which was... Uh, now You See CNC. Inside. Yeah, I believe he produced... He, he produced um, Right Now. Yeah, he produced Right Now. Which, if you listen to it, that's like... I mean, how different does that sound from The Marvelous 3? <laughs> <laughs> if, if we're just being honest, you know? Um, Yeah, I remember this song. Uh, it was a TRL hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so... What I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, in, so, in selecting to, to discuss Butch Walker, 
what do you think is how would you define this style as, as you know as you know as big i get would you say like arena yeah he's rock. arena rock yeah um so what do you think is what do you think is like is there like something more specific as, as his signature like mm-hmm. that's a butch walker song when yeah. you hear it so thinking about the era so like of course this one is more the the guitars and the really polished vocals um but then like moving later into his to, to his career um he started making these songs that sounded larger than life um and they were so like i think of um i think he kind of started maybe fashioning himself after mutt lang in the 80s so when Mutt Lang did the Def Leppard albums, one of the songs, Pour Some Sugar On Me. Pour Some Sugar On Me is a very simple song, a very do, do, ka, do, ka. Well, that wasn't Almost, because the drummer had one arm? Well, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but also just, you know, like you don't need complexity, you know, yeah. to, to, for a song. So like a lot of the songs he started coming out with used drum machines, you know, which really helped... Um, Panic at the Disco because they didn't have a drummer at the time. It was just I don't two guys. Yeah, it was just two guys. <laughs> I think it now it's just one. But like you think, I think of um, the album that had the Ballad of Mona Lisa on it. Um, a lot of electronic elements. It's still rock, but there were a lot of electronic elements on that album. I think is one of their. I know it's their last rock album, pure rock album. I think it's their best album because it's the perfect mix of. Um. Excuse me. It's the perfect mix of rock music and then that, you know, that, um, I don't know. I can't describe it. It's just like the perfect mix of rock music, arena rock, and just, like, it just sounds big, though. Like, I don't think there's, like, an actual real drum. It sounds what? It just sounds so big. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's, like, an actual drum in it, and I think that kind of helps a bit. Definitely helped them. But I think it helps it, you know, have some pop sensibilities to it as well. So why do you think the the drum machine, why they went in that direct, why, you know, that direction? Oh, well, yeah, they didn't have a drummer, yeah. but why that could also work for bands that even if they had one? I think it just makes it more accessible. I think, so I, I, there's one part I think, and I don't think this applies to him necessarily because he can play drums. I think over the last 15 years, um, since the music industry is harder to make money in, production costs had to be cut somewhere. Producers weren't taking less money, so yeah. you, you cut musicians. Um, and you have someone like a Butch Walker, who you know, although he can play drums, and it sounds like there might be a drum track lights, you know, underneath, but those could be samples, for all I know. But I think that's partially why cutting costs. But I think for someone like him, it's just because it helps add a little bit of pop sensibility to the song. Um, it just you know with with pop music you don't have a ton a lot of live instruments so what do you do just throw in some like you know some synth there's some really cool like um orchestral samples that he throws in there like the pizzicato sounds the the um glockenspiel and then a fake drum like it's just you know some people might say it's overproduced but i think it's just to make it you know whatever it needed to sound big and sound good sonically i think is what he was doing I think basically it probably started out as just like, here's the song, here's, all right, so what can we sound in here to make it sound a little more interesting? Oh, let's throw in some strings right here. We might not use them anywhere else in the song, but it sounds good right here. 
let's open up with like you know a hand like the hand clap might not use it again but it sounds good right here and i think at least that's i know and because i know that's how i've started approaching things going back and listening to what he's done sounds good here let's do it will we use it again probably not it's a very hip-hop style of production too because hip-hop artists will do that like though i remember the first time i was learning about hip-hop production they're like oh yeah there's 40 tracks and on some of the tracks, there's one sound <laughs> and it's a bass drum that sounds exactly one type of way. It's never used again, but it's it works right there. And it keeps the song fresh and interesting. Not only does it you know give it some pop sensibilities as well, but it keeps the song fresh and interesting and throws you off a little bit in a good way. It gives you something because you do want, at least in my opinion, in a good song, at least a little bit of unpredictability. Something that can kind of make you like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And I think that's what you kind of get from his production. But then also those pop sensibilities with the drum machines and the steady beat. Um, one thing that I, I noticed is, you know, when when building the, the playlist, like I said, it was just the, the notable ones, the notable songs, the ones that I know about. Some of these were songs that I guess could be considered a little too humorous. To be, to be rock songs. Yeah. Like, for example, he produced uh, this one. 1985 <laughs> by Bowling for Soup. Which was originally, I believe, written by SR71, which yeah. is another band he worked with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it me or do the lead singers sound the same? They sound very similar. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that could also be a little bit of Butch Walker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> producing the vocals you know he he might just like he was really feeling that sound at the time so with these uh i guess it, it's kind of weird to think of like people may have a different definition of pop rock music or pop rock bands mm -hmm. you know pop rock i might think of somebody like maroon five yeah uh, who may even though I call them Adam and the Levines, they may take themselves very, very seriously <laughs> as musicians. Yeah. While a band like Bowling for Soup is singing songs about, I think at the time, at least 20 years before, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and it's, you know, they're, they're having fun with everything, or mm -hmm. at least it, it's supposed to sound that way. And they're not mm -hmm. taking themselves very seriously, Yeah. but they are pop rock just the same. Yeah. Um, do you see it that way? Or like, as far as like the, the differences between a band that it, it I mean, 1985 could sound like a, a novelty song. I mean, they had a couple of other songs, but yeah. it could sound very one hit wonderish, uh, because, or, or maybe it's just the time that the time that these songs came out and how we look at rock bands today that it's hard to, it's hard to break through. I mean, yeah. The Hot 100 is dominated by hip hop, uh 80s sounding music. Yeah. And um uh moody teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like where does the where does the rock band or the pop rock band fit in? Do they fit in at all? Yeah. No, I think this was so this was in 04. And this was around the time that rock music was starting to die off. Emo had just kind of had its course. And a lot of the music we were hearing was very much 
still pop rock or pop punk inspired um, because you still did have bands like Blink-182 who were still able to kind of hold on to their popularity. Um, but like unless you were Blink-182 and doing pop punk and, you know, Blink-182 was a very humorous band. So I, I don't think it was um, a coincidence that you had a lot of bands imitating them because the only other bands that were really getting any play around that time were like the sums. The, let me stop. But like <laughs> those indie rock bands that, you know, like the Strokes weren't huge in 2004, but bands like the Strokes were starting, were, were still kind of yeah. popular. The Hives, um, I believe was one of them was still kind of popular in, in 2004. Um and I believe that video where the record producer, the quote unquote record producer in the Sum 41 video makes that joke, I believe was in 2003, 2004. I know we, yeah. were, we were in college where he's making that joke like this is what's selling. You know, I think the Arctic Monkeys, Arctic Monkeys were breaking around that time, maybe yeah. a year or two later. That's what rock was. And I believe because of that, that's why rock started to got, kind of go a little bit more underground because, you know, it just it it either took itself too serious or not at all. <laughs> um, and I know Bowling for Soup's kind of they kind of stuck around for a little bit, um, and I think you know that's that kind of helped them stick around because you know they didn't take themselves too seriously, and their videos were funny. Once again, I think they're a band that probably would have done well now today in the YouTube era, because I mean, if you have you seen the video for 1985, they're dressing up as all these 80s bands, yeah, um, and then you got the woman across the street. Dancing on the car like in a white snake video. <laughs> it was rest in peace, Tony Catania. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think they were just kind of doing what they had to do. But then you had producers like Butch Walker and Mitch Allen who clearly liked that style of music. They weren't doing it to be ironic. They did it because they liked it. You know, Butch Walker came up in a band called South Gang, which was a glam rock band in the eighties. So to him, he's like, Psh, I'm right at home. <laughs> Like, this is perfect for me. Um, Mitch Allen, the same way. You know, I'm, I'm right at home here. This is the type of stuff I like. So I think that's why they were doing that. Um, and then, unfortunately, like, you know, shortly after that, rock music just wasn't rock yeah, music. Because, you just, you know. I mean, that's, because some of the end, like you said, where it seemed like they went underground or there was this certain um, aesthetic, mm-hmm. this certain look, you know, at the time, uh, like you're saying, with, it was some 41, but they don't sound like the hives and the white stripes, Mm-mm. the strokes. They don't sound like them. Yeah. Uh, but like there were bands that like, it looked like Butch Walker worked with that kind of fall into that vein, mm-hmm. like the Donna's. Yeah. And, um, was American Hi-Fi yeah, like that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he basically was working with and continued to work with, those types of bands, and I think he his sound, while it evolved, it stayed the same. It just became a little more electronic because that's where music was going. Yeah, um, you know, and trying to, from what I've read, there were a lot of bands who were hesitant to work with a Butch Walker because of, yeah, he's a pop rock producer and we don't really want to sound like that. Like yeah. it was something that, they actively resisted. Yeah. Um, but with a lot of bands that he that he worked with, they had um they had some success. Yeah. Like I think too, so Under My Skin is another one that he co produced. Um that's kind of what rock was. So 
out if you weren't a band and you were a rock singer and and I mean maybe this is kind of what helped shove rock out the door. If you think to 2004 Under My Skin Avril Lavigne, y'all. Yeah, Avril Lavigne Under My Skin and I believe that year or a year later is when um you started getting Kelly Clarkson doing rock music. Yeah. Was it becoming too corporate at that point? Was it just like this isn't rock music? You've got people with pretty voices. <laughs> singing rock music this is around the time that dr luke and max martin max martin's having his revival and he starts he's like i can do this let's bring this pop sensibility um and it's like you know butch i but i think butch walker was like i could you know i could do that too but i'll do it with live instruments and then later in life i think he kind of picked up or not later in life because he was only two years later when he started working with pink yeah pink who is who who the hell knows what she is She's definitely one of those artists where, like, we don't know what to do with you. Like your first album, yeah, we was tried, we tried one, we tried one way, and then your second album, then we tried something else. You wanted to be rock, and then we tried another, and thing. then we tried something <laughs> else. And by the time I think Butch Walker kind of started working with her and, and Max Martin too, is when she kind of found like, yeah, her sound, which yeah. has become that, you know, that I know people still like just appeal and stuff like that, but like. Until she until she went past that album that had God as a DJ on it, that's pink. You know, and it was like, and that's that sound that Butch Walker, I think, from then on, that became the sound. He was like, we can have rock sensibilities with pop beats and all that and all that stuff. So um and before I go on though, because I don't want to get too past this, he worked on a Lindsay Lohan album. Yes. A little more personal. He produced and, and co-wrote the title track, which I love that song. <laughs> oh, it won't let me play it. Hold on. I'm not ashamed to say that I love a little more personal. I'm not ashamed to say that. Uh, it won't let me play that one either. Oh, no. Oh, no. Did, uh... <laughs> well, I know it, was, it wasn't on Spotify for the longest, and then they put it on there, so maybe... The record companies are fighting again. <laughs> okay, now it'll play. This is a little more personal. Like, it's got that, you can kind of hear it starting. It's got the synth in there. You hear the clap along with the drums. Like, you can you can hear the sound developing over the years into what it was going to become, where he started, like, you know, maybe it was some notes that someone gave him, like, hey, man, this rock thing ain't doing it anymore. Let's try to add some of these elements in there because there's a ton of synth in this song i'm getting um people familiar with the the band missing persons i don't think i am uh the band from california um it was kind of like the in la if there was the 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 sound with the like the 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 hair metal bands yeah kind of the underground was the you had a, it was hair metal, but you had a female lead singer, and instead of two guitars, you had a keyboard. Okay. Someone playing the keyboard, so there was, there was that. So it sounded yeah. like a little electronic. I know it reminded me of that. Yeah, and this is you know, in addition to just liking this song, this is a song that I've kind of you know, in terms of adding bits and pieces into songs, and hey, throw this in here, throw this in here. This is a song I go back and listen to every now and then. Cool guitar solo. He probably paid. I'm sure he played it. Um, it's a very chorusy guitar solo. Chorus is like this effect. Um, if you're thinking in vocal terms, chorus is making it sound like a chorus. It makes it sound like many voices. And chorus is a was a huge effect in the '80s. Any guitar, every guitar player used it. 
and it makes your guitar sound bigger. It just makes it one string sound like a lot of strings. It's hard to describe unless you hear it. But when you hear it, you're like, oh, I know that, you know, but, um, you know, he, I, I feel like that's kind of he started kind of developing that. And then you go to Pink's I'm Not Dead, which had, you know, who knew stupid girls, you in your hand, you know, some production from Max Martin, some production from from Butch Walker. And I feel like he was really able to kind of show what he was able to do on that. So, like, looking at the songs that he produced, Leave Me, um, Leave Leave me, me Alone, Alone, I'm Lonely. Yeah. Um, he, I believe also he toured with her because you can see him on shows with her. Like on Long TV. Way to Happy, he also did that one. Yeah, um, I believe he really kind of really started to understand this production. I don't know if he got a chance to work with um, with Max Martin or be around Max Martin and Dr. Luke when they were making this album, but I do feel like he really kind of started trying out some different things um, that you started seeing in other albums, um, most notably the one that he made a year later, Infinity on High, um, and then the next album that he did with, um, oh God, what is it? With Fallout Boy, Save Rock and Roll. Like you started to, it was a progression. You you kind of started to hear it, um, and it became it kind of became his sound, so to speak. Yeah, um, he, uh, I guess finding that the thing maybe it's the drum machine that makes the the song sound really um, tight and well put together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's what makes it, I guess that would, that's what makes it, um, uh, I guess the pop that, Mm -hmm. you know, the pop that, you know, the bands are probably for the most part tried to resist. Yeah. Um, I had another question I wanted to ask you. Okay. So with these you know, with a, a band that is trying to break through with a genre where it's very difficult at this time, what do you think the bands, what, if, what can, a, what can Butch Walker give a band, like give any band to have a hit song or at least a song that is more accessible to people? Uh, I think it's ear. So, I mean, in terms of pop sensibility, I mean, I think he's a great writer and I think he has a good ear and I don't think he gets enough credit for his ear. And, you know, for some people who, when they think of producers and I think hip hop has kind of um, warped what people think a producer is, you know, in hip hop, a producer is so, and R and B to a degree, a producer makes the beats. You know, so essentially to them, a producer is a composer. Um, When you think of really in every other genre of music, a producer is sometimes a composer, but really more so helps guide the band's direction because most bands are going to come in with the song already written. And it's the producer's job to help them get down that they want or that the producer feels that they should have. Um, And then it's also their job to help the band tighten up the music, the band or the artist tighten up the music. Usually in pop music, you know, if you've got songwriters, they'll do that. It's very rare that a producer is going to come in and, like, change what Diane Warren has already said we should do. It's just very rare. But you see it more so in, in with bands. They'll be like, hey, cut this down, cut this down. Um, 
And I think that's what he does because some of the songs he writes on, some he just produces. And I think if anything, he can help you tighten it up. He can tell you what sounds good or he can write you something that sounds really catchy um, or even give you something that sounds, you know, because I believe one of the songs, if I remember correctly, and I'm not looking here, but I think he did Centuries. He helped produce Centuries by um, Fallout, Fallout Boy. Boy. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here. Was that him? No, he he did he did Irresistible and mm-hmm. Immortals. Um, and my songs know what you did in the dark. Yeah. So those are the ones I picked that I know that like yeah. he produced. I don't yeah. know if he co-wrote any of the other ones. Yeah. I know and, he produced those. And he did produce and yeah. So my songs know what you did in the dark. So what you can sometimes have are other parts of songs. So I, you know so. Sometimes you can have a really catchy guitar part. You can have a really catchy drum part. Um, so this is a song, the way that it starts out. So it starts out with what could almost be considered Don't Shoot Me Here, a New Orleans bounce. Then it goes into like a, a very a hip-hop feel. It's like when you hear this part at the beginning, the way these drums go, this is the way that you hear a beat start in a hip-hop song. Starts out just with the claps and then do the toms right here. The way that, well, I'm early, but the way the toms kind of come in, like you kind of hear that the way it's kind of like a, a bouncy kind of syncopated beat. Throws in that vocal in the background there. Yeah. Like everything like is just, it's catchy, everything. Very simple beat though, nothing, nothing complicated, Not, nothing complex. I'm on fire. That's his, probably his choice to make that distorted too. And you hear that? Everything kind of starts out. Throw millennial whoop in there. <laughs> yeah, I think he throws in the the hip hop toms in the in this verse actually. I hope I'm not misremembering this. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I think there's actually a remix with two chains too. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's is. in the video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and watching a couple of interviews before we started recording, uh, he talked about um his process of of when he was recording his own stuff of stacking. Of just, uh, I guess that's playing all the instruments yourself, mm-hmm. um, and engineering himself. Yeah, <laughs> um, which you, you're either insane or um, incredibly self-centered. Not which is why incredibly. No, that's why I think <laughs> a lot of his records um, have these different directions because I think he could he probably gets bored with that specific sound. I also think that's why if you listen to certain records, you know, one of the biggest criticisms you could probably give to letters is the fact that there's certain parts of it that don't sound great, but he liked it. So he probably so kept he left it. He left, left it, it in there. Like the drums could sound better, but he's like, no, nah, I want small sounding drums. All right, cool. But it's your record, man. <laughs> like, cause these aren't, you know, he's not putting out, well, he's putting out singles. He made a video for mix the song mixtape. But, like, I don't think at any point he expected to get, you know, huge off of these. Like, this is, like, you know, like the studios say, this is our prestige film. 
I think he was just doing it for maybe for the critics, not for the sales. Um, because it's just like, you know, there's certain choices he made that you're just like, dude, why'd you do that? Like, <laughs> like <laughs> it was, it was just funny to hear, you know, it's just interesting. And it was, it was, I can't remember the producer we did. Was it Trevor Horn? Where it's like, I'll do it myself. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Like he kind of <laughs> has that mentality, you know, he's always been. So another thing they talked about in the interview that we listened to is how hard of a worker he is. He's a very hard worker. I remember seeing an interview with him in the 90s where he talked about the Marvelous 3's touring schedule and how they were doing somewhere in the neighborhood like 200 to 300 shows a year. Mm. That's insane. There are 365 days in a year, people. If you're playing <laughs> 200 to 300 shows a year, <laughs> that's like maybe, what, a month and a half or two where you're not playing shows. You're just constantly touring, just touring, touring, touring. And they put on good shows. I, you know, they were on the show Reverb back in the day on HBO, and they put on a good show. You know, I know in the um, in the video to Freak of the Week, you know, that part where he, like, um, has the pick flying in front of him, and he he does that in his shows. You know, I tried to do it. I failed. But, like, he'll throw a pick <laughs> behind him and kick it into the crowd. Like, it's a really cool trick. He's a showman. I love it. And he took that same work ethic and I think applied it to what he does now, to where he just work, 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 work. I think in that interview, he was working on, like, four albums <laughs> at, like, right then. Yeah. Like, and this was, like, a few weeks ago. <laughs> you know, he's working on four albums. He's like, oh, I'm doing this, and then we're going to get Green Day in the studio, and Jewel. That was, that was mind blowing. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I, I think that's, I think it's, you know, his work ethic is, is something legendary. And on top of that, too, as we noticed in the background, in his studio, he has a plaque of Georgia, so he doesn't forget where he's from. Yeah. Which I can appreciate. Um, and I, I feel like, you know, he's one of those people that doesn't get brought up a lot when you talk about Georgia artists because Georgia is so hip hop. It's so, yeah, it's, it's so hip hop centered Mm -hmm. that, you know, a lot of people don't know about the other bands that are from this state. Yeah. Uh, Hall of Fame bands. Oh yeah. (laughs) Or, or artists like, you know, Otis Redding. Yeah. Lil Richard. Mm Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, REM, yeah, B fifty twos. You know, it's Alan it goes Jackson. beyond <laughs> Alan Jackson. Who will go, be in the Country Hall of Fame. He'll be there. <laughs> it goes beyond Outkast and Ti and Future. It goes beyond that. Yeah. So I mean, there's so, you know, um, or one of our. Well, I think he's based here. I don't know if he's from here. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know more about him. David Ryan Harris. Is, I believe he's. I believe he's from here, but he's definitely someone who. Unfortunately, you know, doesn't you know really get talked about in the in the grand scheme. But of it's all. Music. It may also be the timing of it because, you know, rock music is has. Uh, it's hard to sustain. It's hard to like break through with one song. Much mm-hmm. um, less be like sustainable because you know it's just not the music that people are listening to. Yeah. Uh, in that way, at least not. Um, the masses, mm-hmm. as far as that goes. And my mistake, he was born in Illinois, but he moved to Atlanta at a very young age, so he's from here. We can say. And look, Kanye was born in Atlanta, and but was, yeah. we associate him with Chicago, yeah. so <laughs> it's fine. Um, what I what, uh, overproduction. I know you like when songs are overproduced. Oh God, yes I do. <laughs> yes I do. The more. Could the you explain better. to people what that means? What does it mean for a song that is overproduced? Well, it depends on who you're talking to, because some people have different 
different um, interpretations of it. To some people, um, if it sounds too digital, that they think it's overproduced. Um, some people think that if the vocals sound too perfect, it's overproduced. <laughs> and then some people feel like if the if the production or the arrangement is too dense, it could be overproduced. So like if you've got like, you know, you're layering a ton of guitars, like Smashing Pumpkins was was known for doing that. I believe the Foo Fighters as well. To where people are like, how are you going to play this live? There's just, you've got like five or six guitar tracks. There's no <laughs> way you can play all of these live. Um, but essentially, it's, it becomes, it's a derogatory term because, you know, people feel that it takes away from the music because, you know, people, like when you hear it live, if it doesn't sound the same way, yeah, because it's so overproduced. And for me, as a budding producer, I don't consider myself a producer just yet because there's a lot I got to learn. But I, I totally now understand the um, the temptation or the, the calling of overproduction. I've got songs where there are four or five guitar parts because you'll get to a part of a song and you're just like, eh, it sounds a little empty. Let's put something else in here. And maybe you throw some compression on it. Like if you put too much compression on something, people consider it overproduced. Chad Kroger from Nickelback, his voice is very compressed. And what compression does is it takes your audio signal and compresses it to where the levels don't stick out anywhere. And I mean, it's essentially, it's essentially a standard practice. You know, people give them crap about it, but everyone's compressing the crap out of their vocals so that they sound even. Everyone's using pitch correction. There's a difference, pitch correction versus auto-tune. What you hear with T-Pain, that's exaggerated auto-tune. Pitch correction, every song you listen to nowadays has it. Um, and then, of course, there's the other effects, throwing a ton of reverb on things. And what, you know, the point I want to get to is what makes me laugh is when you have some of these people who are like, God, I hate overproduced music. But then you go and listen to certain indie music. It's overproduced. You know, the, the tracks have a ton of production on them. You, The only way you can get them to sound that way a lot of times is if you throw a ton of production on them. So, you know, to get back to um, to Butch Walker, I think his songs in the traditional sense that he produces would be considered overproduced. But then I also think that some of his solo stuff that some people would be like, oh, yeah, man, that's raw, are also overproduced because of <laughs> what he's doing to the drums or what he's doing to his voice or what he's doing to the guitar or the bass or whatever. It's all overproduced. And it's that way because he's a really good producer and he knows the sounds he likes or that he wants to go for. And he and he'll do whatever it takes to get them. Um, because those songs don't sound the same live as they do in studio because some of those effects are hard. You can't get every guitar part, whatever. Um, it just it just depends unless you want a seven or eight piece band up there. You can totally do that. It's going to hurt your bottom line, but you can do it <laughs> <laughs> if you want. I think that's probably why the Foo Fighters have three or four guitar players so they can do that. But I felt like that was a long answer, but. No, no, it, it 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 just really it, depends on who you're talking yeah. to. Yeah, you know there there are different ways where something can look overproduced. You know, I guess it's weird to think like, oh, this song this sounds too neat. That yeah. means it's overproduced. And some people really hate that. Like a lot of people hate that. In the two th in the early two thousands, you had a lot of rock bands start playing to click tracks. Yeah, and essentially that what that would allow you to do. And Rick Beato. I would definitely suggest checking out his channel for anyone who's listening has some really good, he's a producer as well and he loves sounds and 
I think he's a very honest producer, especially in terms of his own biases and everything. But he talks about, um, you know, the early 2000s when they started, everyone started playing to a click track. And what you could do is you can take the audio because it's on a click. Everything's on the beat. So you're quantizing everything versus like the 70s and the 80s. You weren't doing it as much. Like he takes a, a clip of John Bonham, the drummer from Led Zeppelin, and he quantizes it. And I'm weird because I liked it better. Like he quantizes <laughs> the shuffle from Fool in the Rain, <laughs> which would later go, you know, influenced by um, Bernard Purdy, later influenced Jeff Beccaro. And yeah, he, he quantizes it because it's not, they didn't play to a click. So he quantizes it. And I'm like, eh, I think it sounds better. But he was like, <laughs> I, I like this better. But he does it to show a point that, you know, people who feel that music is overreduced, that is quantized and everything's on the beat. They think it sounds fake. They don't think it sounds human. Yeah. That's I, subjective, though, you know? I think that's kind of an approach I have to, um, you know, whenever I produce uh, any voiceovers, um, I always take out the, of course, taking out the ums and uhs. Yeah. But I take out whenever I breathe in because. Mm-hmm. So do I. <laughs> one, you, everyone who reads the reads the sound wave, you can see that. Yeah. <laughs> You know exactly where they are. Yeah. But then when you take those out or you take out the the mm-hmm. you take those the the lip licks, that's oh, what yeah. I call them. Take those out. And you listen to the whole fake back, it all it sounds very unnatural. It like big of it, but I notice it because it's my own voice. Mm-hmm. But it could sound unnatural because it look it sounds like I'm doing it all in bra- in one breath with no <laughs> breaks and it sounds too it sounds too good. It yeah. sounds like I I did it all in one take. Yeah, that's what I wanted to sound like. Yeah. So, like, I I don't mind overproduction, um, you know, and I know it's not going to come across that way with the with the live show. I don't yeah. think it, it's not going to sound like so perfect. That's why things always sound a little bit different. Yeah. With the with live performances, <laughs> but that that's okay. Um, but I think that it's about the uh, accessibility. You know, you're trying to break through on a genre that is um, not as popular as it once was. Yeah. You've got to, and you got to, you got to, you got to try things. You yeah. got to do different things. You know, so if you're gonna put some hip hop, a little bit of hip hop percussion in a yeah. Fallout Boy song, you got to try it. It was a hit song. And it was a, it was, <laughs> it was a, a hit, hit song. <laughs> so it was a very big hit. And these it was, things work, can work. And it was funny because, um, Folia Duh didn't really have any hits. They had one song that was a single, but it wasn't really a hit. And then they switched it up. Like, and that's what I respect Fall Out Boy for. You know, I think Folia Do was their album, was their, um, maybe. That was their, the one after Infinity on High. Yeah, Infinity on had High had um, some hits. Yeah, had some hits. It had. Um, Infinity on High had uh, Take Over the Breaks Over. Yeah. This Ain't a Scene, It's an Arms Race. I'm a Lawyer, such and such. Yeah. Those are the singles I know, Thanks for the Memories. And, uh, Folia do had I don't care um, had I don't care that's the only uh, America's Sweethearts which didn't really do well yeah those are the only two I know yeah they tried basically <laughs> I think that was their their Pinkerton and that's a Weezer <laughs> reference because that was the album that apparently Rivers hated the most or he I think I can't remember if he hated it or liked it it was panned and now it's considered a classic I think Folia do was their album that they're like we they're like we all these are people we've always wanted to work with. And we're gonna work with them. I think Pharrell did a song. Lil Wayne was on a song. 
they were just doing a whole lot of stuff. It's a good album, but it's just it's weird. And so when they came back with Save Rock and Roll, you know, they went out and got, you know, Butch Walker and some other producers and Butch Walker, you know, that was their lead single. Like, that's a lot of trust to have him to produce your lead single. And it was a hit and it's a great song. And I know some people, I think some of their older fans didn't really like it because it was so different. And I think that's he also their sound. Did, uh, Alone Together. I think he also did um, that single. Well, I don't think it was a single, but mm-hmm. it's one of their more popular songs from the album. Let me make sure here. But I, but no, I didn't get Alone Together. Yep, he produced that one too. I thought yeah. I put that on the list. I'm going to add it right now. But that was, <laughs> he, I mean, that's, and what's funny is that became their sound. Yeah. After after he made that record with them, that's how they sound now. They throw and, a lot it, of samples. And, and he came in at the right time because this is five years, five years after Fully Ado. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they're at a crossroads. I know uh, Pete Wentz had his solo album in which he played everything himself. Mm-hmm. And I oh, like mean, some um, of it. Patrick Stump? Yeah, Patrick Stump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Stump had a solo album. He played everything himself. I like. I like some of it. He wants to be it, Prince. It, I think he, he wanted to be Prince. <laughs> he wants to be Prince, so and it did not sound done. It, it did not sound like it was finished. <laughs> did you ever see him perform? If you think you're lonely now with the Roots, no. <laughs> it was at one of those, um, one of those marches on Washington, and the Roots was there. And yeah, they're playing. If you think you're lonely now, and bless his heart, <laughs> like he's trying so hard. And I bet in his head he's like, I'm killing it. I'm killing it. Like I'm just like, you want to be it's like they're they're stunned. Look at him. They're stunned. They look at him like, what are you doing? Oh man, it's just like he. And I mean, and I no disrespect to Patrick Stump because I think he really appreciates the music. But you gotta stay in lane, man. Just like keep doing what you do. You're like, you know. He has a song. I don't know if you heard it with uh, with Robert Glasper. And, I know that. And, uh, <laughs> Robert Glasper's album, Black Radio, he has a song uh, with Common. Mm. So it's Robert Glasper, Common, and Patrick Stump, and Patrick Stump sings the hook on it. That's all he ever wanted to be. He want, <laughs> Just he do want, features? <laughs> he, just, he wants to be an R&B singer. Like, you can yeah. hear it on America's Sweethearts when they produce their own vocals and you hear stuff. You from Under the Cork Tree. Yeah. All these, like, he sings a, a very kind of R&B-ish style that's just what he likes. It's just really funny because it's like he's like this emo icon. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I just emo? want to see uh-huh. R&B music. Like, nah, emo. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, a, there's this vine that this guy made. Um, he, had, he had red hair like Patrick Stump, and he had a, um, a beard. And he's like, yeah, I, I had to stop listening to Fall Out Boy. I'm like, Why? Well, because every time it comes on, then someone starts playing um, Sugar, We're Going Down. He's like, no, no. And then, the, 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 then it changes. He has the, the huge mutton chop sideburns. <laughs> and they're red. Oh, God. Red first looking like him. So uh, it reminded me of that. Um, so you talked about it a, a little bit, but where where do you hear the Butch Walker influence the most? What do you mean, like in music? Yeah. Do you hear it anywhere, like in any music that he hasn't produced? 
or something you may have thought yeah. was produced by him, but it was someone else? Well, I mean, I kind of hear it in where pop rock has gone. So, and I mean, and and I'm and I am ashamed to say I I can't exactly trace where this sound came from. I just know that he helped a couple of really popular bands, you know, make that sound the next thing. You know, everyone's doing it. But like I think of, you know, I was watching a video a few months ago where they're talking about how to get the pop rock sound. <laughs> and, you know, he didn't name Butch Walker by name, but he named a bunch of bands that sound like their songs could have been produced by Butch Walker. Bands like the band Camino, who is out of who's a band out of Illinois that, you know, I had one of their songs on as a um earworm, Daphne Blue. If you listen to them, they have, you know, big guitars. They don't use drum machines, but they use big sounding drums. Um, I think of the song that just recently came out by All Time Low, uh, Monsters with Demi Lovato. Drum machines, like they have a drummer, but like those are drum samples. He probably played the drum track and then someone came in and took out his drums and put in sample drums. That's where I hear it. Like a lot of these bands imitating that sound, understanding that now if you're a rock band, or a rock artist, you can't just get in the studio and put out, um, you know, right now, you know, by SR71. Yeah. Even then, that's a song produced and written, co-written by him. You can't put that out right now and be popular because you can't play that in the clubs. You can't play that no, in dance clubs. That's the that's the concern. Yeah, and if you want to be a rock, if you want to be a popular rock band, you got to be a rock star, and you got to have something that people can dance to. As Finn McKinty says, and I'm giving him another shout out here because he's so on the point here. Um, rock music in the 80s was popular because it was the music of good times. So if you think about like, you know, a song by Motley Crue, these weren't complex songs about your feelings unless you had coming, you know, um, I'm on my way, Home Sweet Home, that's a song. You know, you had your ballads, but for the most part, you had fun songs. Songs that like if you played them, People would dance to them. People would get excited when you hear them. And then music, then rock music in the 90s became really, really serious. And people liked it because it was different. But that can only take you so far. And once rock music stopped being the, the soundtrack to good times and it became hip-hop and pop, that's why they're dominating. Along with people not really wanting to be rock stars anymore. So you've got to make your music sound like a good time. How do you do that? Put some beats in it. You know, make it... Put some beats in it, make it simple, and make it sing-alongable. Make it a you know, make it a song that like the hook gets stuck in your head. Like, can you imagine people when I, my song "What You Did in the Dark" came out, being in a club and that came on? I guarantee you, everybody singing "I'm on Fire." That they're <laughs> probably singing that part out because that's your that even like there's so many hooks like light them up, up, up. That's a hook. I'm on fire. That's a hook. The guitar coming. That's a hook. Like you've got three hooks right there in your chorus that can get people hooked in, um, you know. And so <laughs> that's how that sounds like a good time. That that's that's what you got to do. You got to sound like like a good time, like you're having fun. And I think the rock artists that are successful nowadays, they sound like a good time. I mean, uh, last thing I want to ask you here. Um as we wrap up this discussion. What band do you want to like see Butch Walker work with that he hasn't? Oh, um, he said he's working with Green Day. 
Mm-hmm. He's working with uh, All Time Low and Jewel um, in the near future. Based on that interview, who would you want to hear him work with? I don't know, man. There's so many. Hmm. There's a lot of the bands I'd, I'd want him to. He's already worked with. Um. I would say Third Eye Blind, but they're over the hill. Um. Would Stephen Jenkins allow it? No, genius unchecked. <laughs> Although he's not a genius anymore. Um. Maybe, well, no, he worked with Weezer because he did Pacific Daydream, which ironically is my favorite album by them. No one, like, no Weezer fans like that album. <laughs> but I think it's the catchiest, poppiest, most well-written album they have, um, which is no surprise that Butch Walker did it. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. The one that I, I think it would get them back to their to their pop rock roots because... I kind of don't like what I'm hearing. <laughs> is Maroon Five? Okay, that's yeah. That that'd be. I would like to hear that. That'd be good. Um, yeah, they had like some R and B. There was R and B influence mm-hmm. on songs about Jane, but it wasn't like full on um, pop synthesized. Like, let's get a rapper mm-hmm. as a feature on not, here. Not like what they're doing now. Yeah, with the, exactly <laughs> what they're doing right now. <laughs> Um, I would like to hear that. Okay. Um, but, you know, as a fan of pop rock music, you kind of want to hear the, the rock part of it, too. I mean, you don't have to change everything about your sound. Um, or, well, I, you've you've had to change everything about your sound. Like Maroon 5 has had to change almost everything. Let's have the focus on Adam Levine mm-hmm. and um, get some rappers in there. But, <laughs> you know. They, they had to do that, but I kind of want to see them go back to, because I know a lot of black people who like songs about Jane. Yeah, it's a good album. And you kind of want to hear them sound something close to that. I know you can't go back to exactly what it was, but at least a, something that sounds like a progression from that rather than like some full change, you know? Mm-hmm. I, um, think I, I think yeah. I figured out who it, who it would be. Yeah. Nickelback. <laughs> I think he could produce a really good Nickelback album. Who had they been working with before? Was it Bob Rock or Muttley? No, I don't. I, I don't. There think was some they big producer really, they had been working with. I don't know. Let me see. So, all the right reasons was probably their breakout. Breakout. Like they were popular, but then like that had a photograph, and yeah, just they produced it along with some guy named Joy Moy. Dark Horse was the one that Mutt Lang did. Okay. That was supposed to be their big, big one, and that had that was actually big because that had um, "Burn It to the Ground," which would have been was popular, but I feel like that would have been a that would have been a destroyer in the '80s. Like that was that's an '80s anthem. Um, this afternoon, and then they had I thought Rockstar was on that album too. Or was that on All the Right Reasons? Because Rockstar All the Right Reasons or the one before that. Yeah, and I think the internet's what's going on. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, all the right reasons that might have been on there because I don't see, I don't see that on there. But yeah, there were some there were some bangers on that one. That's the one they did with him. And then after that, I think they just started working with regular people again. Um, but the, with the Mutt Lang one, it sounded like it sounded like the '80s a little bit. 
But yeah. that's all right. But yeah, I I I would like to hear them work with him. I don't know if maybe they're too old to work with him at this point and not interested in making that type of music because all they've been making their past ever since they made um, Dark Horse and I, I they've really just been making whatever the hell they want to make. I think they're just like we've got all our money, we've got our fans. They're not making. I think they made one more album with like maybe one or two power ballads and everything after that's just been really heavy. I don't think they're interested in being popular anymore, but I think he could. I think he could bring them back the way he did with um, he with Fall Out Boy with well Fall Out Boy and with Panic at the Disco. Yeah, because that was the beginning. Vices and Virtues, that one that he worked on was kind of like the renaissance, renaissance of them, uh, which really just means rebirth in French. But I think that was like the re the renaissance of them, and they realized like, hey, we can do this on our own, the, and that became their sound. Now they're way more poppy. Because I think of like Vices and Virtues and then the album that came after that that had um, the Miss Jackson song and there was one other song that was kind of rock on there. Not High Hopes. It was before that. I can't remember off the top of my head. But now he's just a pop artist. He's just doing pop music. But like I think he was still kind of in that rock arena when that album came. But before that album. um, Uh, Hmm. There's okay, that's Vices and Virtues. You're yeah, Vice and Virtues is the that. one that had hey Mona Lisa and all that good stuff. Which is my favorite album by Oh, them. Vegas Lights. Vegas Lights. That had did they have Don't Threat Me with a Good Time? Um Well that that was another single. The album was Too Weird to Live. Too Yeah, there's something going on with the internet here. But I think it was Too too Weird to Live, Too Young to Die or something. Yeah, that had Miss Jackson, um, which was a a big hit for them as well. Death of a Bachelor was the one that came after that that had um, a lot of the hit songs. I don't know if he produced that one. Yeah, he didn't do anything on that one. Yeah, but that became, yeah, Hallelujah, Victorious Empress New Clothes, Death of a Bachelor. Yeah, they're, I mean, essentially he kind of gave them a new sound. They worked with him twice and then didn't really work with them anymore. But I think he helped. Hey, here's your sound. Here's your new sound, <laughs> and they and they ran with it, and it became a little less rock as time went on. But then again, as we kind of said, what has pop rock music become anyway? The samples, the drums, not a ton of guitar, <laughs> because you know guitar don't really sell. <laughs> like a guitar solo, get that out of here. Like no, we don't. No time for we guitar need a rapper. Solos. We need a rapper. Exactly. Where's future? Where's that's the, the new guitar. That's the new guitar solo. <laughs> a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that'll do it for our discussion on Butch Walker. Uh, so we can you can find our playlist on Spotify. BTT YHT produced by Butch Walker is the name of the playlist. Uh, so we'll get to my earworm of the week. Uh, we did an episode a few months ago about uh, two tone music hmm. and. Uh, one band that I like that came from that era, one of the more popular ones, and they they really broke up right before they blew up in America. Is uh, in in the UK they were known as the Beat. In America they were known as the English Beat because there was already a band called the Beat. But they had this song. It's um, it's 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 reggae, but also a little disco. Um, is that what ska is? I, I guess, but. <laughs> it's a song called uh, Too Nice to Talk To. And uh, I really like the saxophone on it. Like the oldest 
member of the band played the saxophone. He was like 20 years older than everyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this is the English beat. Too nice to talk to. And we'll be right back. That is Too Nice to Talk To by The English Beat. And you can find that on our BTT YHT Earworms playlist on Spotify with all the other earworms we have ever had, except for a couple of them. Um, I was listening to Hot Rod Hearts the other day. It's a great song. (laughs) (laughs) We wait like a year or two. It was like two years before that song came back after it was taken down. It's a great song, though, man. It's some great work. Um, so that will bring us to the end of, hold on, that'll bring us to the end of this episode, um, part three of the Georgia series, um, maybe coming soon. If not, it'll just bleed over into black music month. We'll make this work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Georgia. <laughs> it won't be the last time we ever talk about Georgia artists, but yeah. yeah. Um so um what should we end the show with? Um so the 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 easy one of course would be, and I'm just sticking with stuff that he's actually performed, would be um Freak of the Week. But I'm gonna suggest Sugar High. I believe that's the name of the song. It's a song by Marvelous Three, one of the last ones he did has a really cool acoustic guitar riff and some of the quirky lyrics that he kind of became, that you kind of mentioned. Um, 
some very very funny sugar buzz sugar buzz yeah um big song you can so all these things we've talked about in terms of what he would go on to do production wise you can hear in this song and it came out before he started producing other people in this style so take a listen you can hear those roots coming out all right well thank you very much everyone for listening yes thank you so much uh, continue to download, continue to stream wherever you get your podcast. Yeah. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Like tell us on Facebook. Yeah. Tell your friends to do the same thing. Just like Taking Back Sunday say, I tell all your friends. <laughs> this is Sugar Buzz by Marvelous 3. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. Well, I started this story in the middle of the page. I remembered the lines and forgot my age. When somebody said my attitude was snotty. That's when you call and say, get out tonight. I'll catch a late night movie on a late night flight. I'll be getting real drunk and making fun of everybody. Ain't nobody gonna get me down. Something must have gone around. Yeah.